Welcome back to the Anarchist Monastery. Not so much a place as a state of mind. Indeed. And one we aspire to share with you, our listeners. My name is Hugh Bernays. And I'm Daniel Roy Connolly. Hello. Hi. Of the things we'd like to talk about today, which being March the 23rd is apparently both National Near Miss Day. Oh. Puppy Day. We'll probably Hmm. skip that. And... uh, very tempting for anarchist monasticism. Whatever that is, it's Atheism Day. Oh. Also situated in the beautiful and ancient city of York, we have promised to feature one extraordinary and undeservedly little-known woman from the city's past and to include the next episode of the Daniel Roy Connolly Adventures Abroad with the Foreign Office. ta the Oriental chapters. <laughs> so, on with the show. Daniel, mm. give us, if you can, your best near miss. And if you can make it about a puppy oh. and an atheist, mm. uh, all to the good. I love puppies. I, I'd, I'd love to have a near miss episode with puppies. I can't remember one. I'd love to have a, a, a near miss episode with atheism, perhaps, perhaps losing my my godfulness at a young age but no i think well my near miss okay my near miss takes place in rome it's me again in the foreign office in rome i turn up to the embassy at nine o'clock one morning in june 1987 i'm 21 i rock up on my moped there are police everywhere 50 or 60 police flashing lights you know i mean when the italian police rock up there's a lot of lot of a uh, lot of son et lumiere you know tons of police i get into the i see the security guard and i'm i say what's up and he says un attacco un attacco and it turned out that we had a mortar attack there'd been a mortar attack what a mortar attack indeed on the british embassy in rome uh, in rome by get this the japanese red army faction who are I, right who i don't remember any of this well you i you weren't there um well, i was I, on uh, the planet you were on the planet well maybe you weren't tuned into the <laughs> no. news that day but we what happened was the japanese red army faction who was some 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 very zealous um, communist uh, let's upturn the social the world world order groups um they were japanese they were anti-japanese government they were anti-american government they there have been there have been attacks in tokyo and 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 somewhere in the states what year was this 87 Hmm. right 1987 and they they'd um they'd shot a mortar into the into the into the british into the compound of the british embassy Hmm. into the ornamental pond in yes. fact, um, uh, in front of the embassy, it was meant to go off at 9am when we were all arriving. Right. It went off at 8am. At it went off an hour early. And, uh, and uh, we, th- th- it was full of nuts and bolts, this mortar. And so had anyone been around, right, there would have been absolute carnage. But as, as luck would have it, it went off an hour early earlier now i went up to my room in the registry at the top of the building where i could see down on the ornamental pool and all the police and there was just so much hubbub going on outside in the middle of the ornamental pool um there was a henry moore statue 
Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's still there, but being Henry Moore is a massive block with a bloody great hole in the middle of it, right? And um, I phoned the ambassador downstairs. This would have been about 9.15. And I said to him, because I was a cheeky little chap, and I said to him, um, the, you know you know what's happened? Yes, of course, Connolly, I know what's happened. Don't be a damn fool, man. I said, but the, the, that <laughs> that the, the the mortar's blown. The company you keep. The mortar's the mortar's blown a hole in the middle of the Henry Moore statue. And then he went, <laughs> "What?" Like this. And he was on the phone to London, and uh, and uh, when he found out that the hole had always been there, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I got in a little bit of trouble. Um, I got a bit of a talking to. But in terms of their near misses. It being World Near Miss Day today, or National Near Miss, I'm not sure which one, World, National, International. I think, it, I think the day is, is such because of an asteroid that, that um, flew very close to Earth ah, right. in 1989. It came within like half a million miles, right, which, okay. which if you're on foot, it's quite a lot, isn't it? But in, in, sort of, um, in terms of, sort of you know, the astral, it's, uh, it's nothing really half a million miles and and so that would have obviously caused some disruption to the planet it was a near miss 500,000 miles i think so yeah that's a near miss right in terms of uh, in terms yeah, of meteors yeah, yeah. uh and i think my near miss yeah my contribution to national near miss day is my uh, i just got away with one i got away with with, with not being mortared one morning yeah yeah well you got there 2 years Two years ahead of the the asteroid, in fact. So you got there first with I your did. near miss. I had two near misses. That's yeah. right. The asteroid was copying me. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. What about yours? What's yours, Hugh? Well, um, mine's an extraordinary one. I was I could have picked an accident, but um, I picked something that completely changed my life. That may well have been an extraordinary piece of coincidence, um, or uh, or an accident, something that wasn't intended at all. And uh, it's rather an extraordinary what story. Happened? What happened? <clears throat> well, I had uh, I'd applied to join the uh, the National Youth Theatre. Good for you. While I was at school, mm. right? So it was the last last year at school. Um, I'd already, with some friends, uh, put together Ch the Chichester Youth Theatre right. with the help of uh, one or two adults, right. great Olive Norton from the Royal Ballet. Very well-known festival, isn't it, Chichester Yeah, Theater Oh, festival. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really made our lives. Anyway, we're all terrible. You'll be glad to hear. We were all extraordinary um, theatre enthusiasts. So we'd put <laughs> that together. The Chichester Youth Theatre was in some way associated with the National Youth Theatre movement. So, you know, I had addresses and so on and, and people to uh, write references. Right. And just in the normal way, I applied to uh, go along to the National Youth Theatre um, summer camp, I think, you know, um, as it were. Um, probably uh, at the um, the Young Vic or somewhere, you know, we'd all be around there and all meet. Um, yeah. Or maybe in some warehouse in um, give King's us a, Cross. I don't know what it was, give but us I a had year? a wonderful... Oh, this is 1969. 1969. What a great... Yes, yes. And um, so I, was, I really wanted to be an actor. I'd been in quite a lot of plays. I was writing plays, 
helped found the Chichester Youth Theatre, queued outside for hours and hours and hours to get cheap tickets at the Chichester Festival Theatre. So it's really, really important to me. Mm. And I think people who want to be actors mm. will really sympathise with what I have to say next. OK, well, now that's... Uh, do you want a drum roll? Yeah, I do. What's I got your... to reply. Oh, what's your near miss? Come on then. Well, I'd done for an audition piece, I had done... Um, Hamlet's father's speech yes. on the ramparts yes, the at ghost. Elsinore. Yes. The ghost. Yes. Yeah. A Terrifying. good, yes, a lovely piece of monologue. Mm. Scary. So I was looking forward to them saying, we absolutely must have you, possibly for a leading role. You know, can you be here? You know, et cetera, et cetera. That's what you thought they were going to say to oh, you? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I was Honestly, I was reading that letter ever since I came back from London, wow. as it were. You know. As you can imagine, I was... The, and then finally it arrived, you know, on the mat um, in Portsmouth at the boarding house where I was living. On the mat the in Portsmouth. Yeah, at Mark Hennings. And uh, you can tell from my tone of voice, you know, it all went wrong. Oh, no. I, I opened the envelope. Couldn't I tell that. I thought envelope. it might be, might yeah, be good news. No. No. And uh, they didn't want me. Wow. They didn't. I was going that to be like an actor. Letter. I was going to be an actor. Mm. And it probably the beginning of my acting career and right. everything. And with the extraordinary performance that I'd given. I mean, I had won serial um, uh, reading competitions at school. I could right. really enunciate. The, doing the Hamlet speech and everything, you know, the father was just easily the perfect uh, piece to show oh, off what I could do. I am thy father's I could spirit. not believe it. Mm. And then letter went on, mm. uh, but we do have a vacancy and we'd like you to come and help the director, Michael Croft, with his work. Wow. Why did they, why did they offer you work with the director if you'd auditioned as an actor? Well, I think it's because they did see that I was very keen and would be awfully upset not to be in it and on it, you know, and they want keen people at the National Youth Theatre summer camp and everything. Yep. So, you know, to them it's perfectly normal to say, no, you can't be an actor, but come um, and help out. But why did they do that to you and not to any 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 of the well, other I'm auditionees? Sure they did it. I'm sure they did it to lots. Yeah, oh, right. Come and be a come and can't you can't be an actor, but come and be um, a stage manager or okay, help in and, the yeah. props department yeah. or you know anything. Very yes, good. to get all these young people involved. That's it's very good. That's very encouraging. Absolutely wonderful. Mm, yes, I like that. And uh, but the disappointment. Oh, Hugh. This is what we your like, face. It just to. dropped. Yeah, the disappointment about that. You know that whole future mm. bowling away being missed. As an actor, and the as reason, a famous actor. Well, no, my whole future involved in theatre because mm. it was saying this, you know, mm. I could, this was a few, it was offering me a future that mm. was, maybe would lead in the future to directing plays. You, and all sorts you of might stuff even like have that. a theatre named after you in the West and End the right reason, now. The reason, this is the near miss. The reason, but I got hit as it were, the reason that. I didn't reply and say, you know, I'm sorry not that there isn't a place acting for me, but I would be absolutely delighted mm. to come up and assist what in any you? way I can. What stops you? It's usual at the end of a letter for the person who's sending it to you to sign it. That, that is a convention, yes, of communication. That's right. So given the disappointment and the fact that it was written by Michael Croft but not signed by him... Uh. He's the director. He was the director at the t time of the National Youth Theatre. Yes. Those two things. And I know, and I've always thought, I might be wrong, but I've always thought, 
if he had signed it, mm. I would have replied positively. Was it signed it's on the behalf? last straw? It wasn't signed by anybody. Just no name whatsoever. So what I'm saying is the near miss is that I nearly had a completely different life. Wow. And probably there were a whole lot of letters that he had to sign. There might have been oh, 150 hundreds. of yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. About these things. And my letter got through suction or something, you know, yeah. to the one above it, you know, just pushed through and he never got to sign they it. They never signed that tiny little that tiny little thing has completely mm. changed my life. How extraordinary! And I don't want that life I would have had. Mm. I thought about it a lot, mm. you know, because you know I've worked a lot in the factories and so on, a lot mm. of um, very boring, repetitive manual work, and it's been I've been over and over it, and I'm quite happy with what happened to me mm. as a result of that slip. But that what, what? Near miss. Okay, but don't you think that you might have lost more than you? could have gained at that point though i mean don't you think that aren't you being a bit snippy just because it wasn't signed by michael croft that's my question to you and you just aren't you being a bit particular there aren't you, aren't you i think you could say i wouldn't use the word sn bit snippy i'd say devastated oh, aren't well. you being a bit devastated but why i don't understand i why can answer that question i don't and say I don't. yeah i was being a bit devastated I can't get. I'm not on a par with your. Yeah, depth this is because you don't want to be an actor. With your, I don't know what devastates you so much about a letter that's not been signed. Where by you, someone. you're acting. Where you, you've be, wanted to be an actor practically all your life, and did want to be a clown first of all in the circus. But you know, I changed halfway through my adolescence, probably, and started focusing on not being a clown but being an actor. Well. And uh, so that was that was Often my main so that was my main ambition. So this was, and I should have been at that level if I could be an actor, if I had anything at all or any talent for it at all. That should have been recognised in the context of just a whole lot of kids who are keen on theatre mm. coming to the National Youth Theatre. And I did not shine enough. I didn't shine. It told me I didn't shine, and it was it knocked me for six. Uh, I was con mentally concussed. You shone enough for them to say, we can fit I you know, in. I know, I know. We can fit you in. Let's try that. I know, I know. And you could have gone and then you could have got a job in the gift shop and then you could have told Daniel, them what a great... if you had been around to advise me, if anybody had been around to advise me, they would probably have said that. They yeah, would have said, you put yourself that. together. Mm. It, I can see it's really made you sad. Dry That's your it. eyes, you know. Yeah, get over it's it. It's okay. Yeah. This is a great opportunity. It's a you have no idea what it's going to lead to. Exactly. People in the theatre world are offering you work in the <sighs> theatre world. Where I does go that, back that to never that moment. I go back to that moment over and over again. Mm. There were reasons why I mm. didn't take it up. It wasn't just that he didn't sign it. I oh. also had a new girlfriend. Oh, well, that, well, this is an advance on, on what we've discussed already. So, OK, so there's another dimension here. And I thought if I went to the National Youth Theatre where there were a whole lot of young people my age, yeah. my resolution and my focus on the wonderful girlfriend that I had was just right. cultivating a relationship right. for whom I had written poems and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I felt it might be threatened and I'd rather spend time with her. You didn't back yourself to be monogamous, is that what so, you're saying, Bernays? I thought I would get distracted. I knew how, how powerfully I could be acted on by, as you do too, you confessed um, in your... Um, Let's in not your, talk about in, my in your Italian, you know, in your Italian adventures, you know, how oh, okay. beautiful women can be. You know. That's not a confession. That's just a statement of reality. Well, it's we find beautiful women. You know, really, some of them absolutely, totally magnetic. Mm -hmm. You know, other beautiful women, we can, you know, we can, 
we're safe from. It's okay. We can just make we're safe as if as if they're all queuing yeah. up trying. But to there are the some down. who yes, yeah, there are no, some who are here. just for something. The configuration of their beautiful faces is absolutely bewitching. Okay, where, where, where's what's this got to do with? Uh, so I didn't want to be bewitched. Okay, by strange. Girls who I knew would be there, but you would have had to with their bewitching power. Well, no, you had and you it would disturb no. everything. You would have had to have allowed yourself to be bewitched. I no, that's the point. That's no, 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 no. You don't fall in love unless it happens to you, and you've got no control over it. You whatsoever. have to be it's open. Not, it's not a rational decision. You not have to for be me. open to falling in love. <gasps> it's not a rational decision. Hmm. I am naturally monogamous. I, I have no doubt. I've never thought otherwise. So the Not idea that there should be some division or split or anything, I was, no, I was going with what I was going with and this wonderful social world that was opening up, plus them not wanting me as an actor, which is, you know... I just oh, you can't get over that, can you? You just no, chucked that back no, in no, again, no, didn't no. you? There was something wrong. I, the other thing is, is I didn't realise, but if uh, if I'd had teachers around me or something, you mm. know, to look oh, to overlook and advise me, mm. they might have pointed out that um, I'm a posh little bastard. And the last you... thing, yeah, yeah, I sound really posh, I know. Um, but you're and not. And the last though. thing, yeah. Well, no, quite. But I you don't just ask, sound it. Yeah, well, How I confusing. come from Chichester. Mm. How confusing <laughs> in for West everyone. Sussex, you know, where the lawns are so smooth, you're frightened to spill your sherry on them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that's that's what I sound like, and the National Youth Theatre does not want a load of poshos coming in and taking charge of the boards and being the actors. Right. The whole point about it right. is that, especially in 1969, is it's asserting itself as proper street-level stuff with kids from secondary schools right. and comprehensive schools. So you're too posh for so, them in yeah, 1969. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just think of it, me doing um, Hamlet's father's speech yeah. on the battlements. Yeah, in your... I mean, it was Mr Snelling who told me to do it. Yes, Mr Snelling. We all need a Mr Snelling in he our He was my lives, English teacher we? at school. Mm. Mm. He, he he fed you the speech, and then he d he told me to do that. He said it would suit me very well. He was taking he might have been taking the piss. I can't imagine anyone taking the piss out of you, Hugh. Uh, well, it was taking. I mean, to give me that, especially Mr. Snelling. I loved Mr. Maxie Snelling. Maxie Snelling. Yeah, I loved him. I, I don't blame him for anything. Yeah. He looked at me and thought, "This is ideal for him." He was he was right. Yeah, but he wasn't thinking of the social context in which I would be auditioning. I think Maxie Snelling sounds like a, an SUV or, yeah, some mode of transport, a Maxie Snelling. It's wonderful to actually feel that his name is out on the airwaves. It's uh, Snelling. You After live. so long, I'm sure he's passed away and gone to a oh. better classroom in the sky. Almost. Yeah, where almost all certainly. his pupils hand in their homework on time. On time, and it's all brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to have him remembered here, you know. There he is, Mr Tear Snelling. to the eye stuff, you know. So he meant a lot to you, obviously, and he fed you the, the, the audition speech, Hamlet's father, I am thy father's spirit. Probably auditioned me before I went to London. Oh, OK, good. He found, he found time for you as well then. That's excellent. Yeah, he rated me. Uh-huh. That's nice. That's nice to be rated by people. Yeah, the English, to... the English teachers always rated me. Everybody else was very suspicious. I'm often berated <laughs> by people, but anyway, that's another matter altogether. Um, so uh, your near miss then, Hubertine, was you... The letter. The letter. and you, The letter that never got signed. And you acted on the absence of a signature. 
And it was that and it changed my life. And you took the other fork in the road. So it might be a near miss yep. that it was going to be a goal. Yeah. Or it was a near Im miss imagine. that actually stopped me having a terrible time. You could be... As a failed actor. You could be running... I could be so lucky. I'd love to have it again. You know, run it through, live that other life and see what it Well, we'd like. all love that. But I mean, the point is, Hugh, you could be running the gift shop now at the at the Festival Theatre in Chichester if you'd, if you'd gone through with that. You could have been head of wardrobe, right? You could have been deputy assistant stage manager. You're, you're very kind. You're well, very kind. You're very comforting. Oh, how lovely. Isn't that nice? Well, let's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's you try made and, me feel better Let's about try and be comforting about because, And where, where I am now and what I've got and everything, having done what I've done in York, spent all the time here mm. working in the factories and, uh, and building this place, the ruins. Absolutely. Where we are. Yeah, right. where we are, the which you're going to have to describe sometime. Mm -hmm. The Anarchist Monastery, not a place, but a state of mind. But also, uh, <laughs> we're in a room. Yeah, the, a context for it. We're in a very the, large... It bears the symptoms of anarchist monasticism. Mm. Mm. No, we're in a very large... Sort anyway, of... so that's our near miss. Yes, OK. Excellent. That was National Near, near miss, miss Day. Day. And yeah. I think we've covered the puppies, love a puppy, but don't have any puppy stories. National Atheism Day. No, we're good. Welcome back to the Anarchist Monastery. Um, we're going to have a little chat now with local flavour. Um, we're going to look at a, a local um, celebrity, I suppose. We've spoken before about Lady Isabel German, the anchorite in York. And uh, we, had a, we had a really good chat about her as well, I think. I remember t talking about sort of mental health as well when we were chatting that, and that was really good. Um, today, we're going to be looking at a woman uh, who lived um, in the 19th century. Her name is Mary Ellen Best, and uh, she's from York. And Hugh, yes. who, am I, who am I talking about? Who's Mary, who is Mary Ellen Best, such that she's on the anarchist monastery? Well, I have to say, confess straight away that she's one of my great enthusiasms and has been for a long time. Okay, that's a big, and, uh, big sell. Yeah, Off you go. And it's because I really wanted to talk about her that I have um, got round to reading Caroline Davidson's wonderful book, The World of Mary Ellen Best, which I've had for some time. I think it's probably out of print. The point about Mary Ellen Best is that um, she was born in 1809, for start. Right. Um, she died in 1891. Okay, so a good a good lifetime, a good mm -hmm. lick at it. And uh, she was born in Little Blake Street in, in York, York yeah, right. which is now part of Duncan Place, very close to the Minster mm -hmm. and so on, so very central in one of those tall um, terraced houses, maybe up three storeys, something right. like that. And being born in 1809, smack in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars. Okay, right? okay, the Napoleonic Wars. Just and That's not why I want to talk about her. No, because there were lots of people born smack dab in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars and they can't all be worthy of our time. So No, but it does, it does impinge. We'll hear about it. Mary Olympus, uh, what's she known as? She's known as, um, well, I would say that she's known as an outsider artist. She's an artist. She's, she's, a, she's a fine artist. She's a, what is she? She's an outsider artist. Okay. You know? I mean, they used to call them naive. What kind of art does she produce, Hugh? 
she uh, she's a watercolorist. A wa- good a watercolorist. Okay, nineteenth mm-hmm. century watercolorist from yeah. York. Yeah, yeah. And one of the most uh, wonderfully and endearing facts that you get very quickly from uh, Caroline Davidson's book is that when she was six years old, she was no longer in York. I see. No, she moved. She was she? with her parents. Yes. And their faithful servant. Yes. Elizabeth Alderstrop. Mm. And they were in Nice. Nice in, in France. Yeah, in 1815. Right. Now... So she wasn't, she wasn't hard up then, one assumes. Well, it's a very curious thing. You think we're in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars and they flee to France. They flee to France, the enemy. Mm, this is something that... Caroline <laughs> Davidson really doesn't tackle I see. this aspect, but it, but but one, it's very curious. Excites my curiosity. Yes, the the first chapter that she writes on her life is called a scandalous childhood. Okay, good. That's a great introduction. Yeah, yeah. So we have scandal, uh, but the wonderful detail from her six-year-old life in Nice is that um, we find her making paintbrushes out of her hair. So, Oh, fantastic. So she's already commenced, as her, commenced her journey yeah, as yeah, an yeah. artist. And a couple of years later, she's already been commissioned right. by friends yes. in the family yes. and members. Yeah, to make to lots the, more... Oh, right. Yes, to make lots of more... To make lots more hair brushes. Paint brushes. No, yeah. not at all. She's, she's, she's been commissioned to paint their portraits. Right. With, uh, her, with her own hair. She's using her own hair. Well, I mean, she's obviously going to be able to buy brushes, but um, she's a watercolourist, and this is what really endears me to her work and why I ended up reading all about her. She she paints things in the maddest of detail, of exact and small microscopic detail. Yes. And she's not interested, really, in heroic subjects with mythological creatures fighting dragons, you know, in, right. uh, in on mountains with the sea tossing in the she's background. She's more domestic, isn't she? She, yeah, she does interiors. Yes, she does. Yeah. yeah and yeah, and yeah. the detail with which she, she, she paints her, she watercolours her interiors. So she, she, there's, a, there's a painting called An Interior, uh, for example, um, which she painted in the 18, late 1830s. And it's it's a magnificent, what we would call a drawing room, I suppose, um, with the with the kind of wallpaper that these days you'd be arrested for. Um, and uh, the details of the room itself are fabulous. When you say you might be arrested for this wallpaper, yeah. can you actually give um, the listeners some idea of what this... Um, right. illegal wallpaper well, might possibly be yeah, because you're right on the money there it's heavily it's yeah. it, it's heavy wallpaper uh very kind of uh it's very busy there's there's this it's very patterned i can almost feel the thickness of this wallpaper um just 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 looking at um at this particular painting uh the detail is incredible um you can as i say you you can feel that this is a proper thick bit of wallpaper and just imagine that that was rather a small painting right now you know why she was making her paintbrushes herself out of her hair oh i see where she's used her hair now yeah yeah she's needs she needs uh microscopic uh paintbrushes oh don't we all because what she's done is she's painted the pattern on the wallpaper yes she has and she's got it right well, she's got. She's, it, not, she's yeah. not gone Matisse on it and done anything. No, 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 no. She's it, actually done the pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this attention to detail must have been absolutely exhausting. Yeah, 
it's kind of hyper-realism, isn't it, in, in a sense, right? Yes, yes. And it, what, what sort of effect does it produce? How can you go past one of these paintings mm. without going, oh, my God, what's that? I just honestly... Mm. And think of, think of the beauty of the postcard. So the drawing room then has, has, is full, mm-hmm. it's busy, lots of, lots of paintings on the wall. It's, it's, um, yes, yes, it's she framed, painting, it's, painting. It's framed as if we are, the fourth wall has been taken down and we're looking into this room. So that's quite theatrical in its way, isn't it? So we're looking into the room. There's a magnificent portrait, a painting over the fireplace. There's a chaise long. There's two doors, one either side of the fireplace. I don't know where, one to the, I don't know, one to the kit. No, anyway. Um, the carpet is also not quite the aesthetic abomination that the wallpaper is. Uh, the, quite, the carpet's a little quieter. It's a busy room, though. It's a busy, um, I would say, I would say it looks quite upper class. It looks quite a... Oh, yeah, 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 really yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of social detail yeah. in every single one of her interiors. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, sure, sure. It's a bit, it's a kind of room that I'd, I'd probably, I'd like to have breakfast in, but not stay in for much longer than that. Daniel, I think it's time to remind the listeners mm. um, that they can actually Google the image Mary right. Ellen Best, and they can share the delight that right. you are actually. Well, we can do that work for them. We can. The do, why don't we do the work for the listeners, and we'll just put some links into the show notes so that uh, so right, that, so yeah, make so it a little easier, so that they can see easy. precisely. Yes. That's what I would have done. But um, people should actually be listening. Um, looking at these things, listening to you and seeing these drawing rooms. Of course. Because there's not that many in in the Google images, as far as I remember. Yeah. You know, they do repeat. The ones that are the most famous, they get yeah. repeated over and over okay. again. And in Caroline Davidson's book, you get an extraordinary range of her her paintings. Oh. And I've got here in front of me one right. of my absolute favourite pieces right. of her work, right. which is even more meticulous than you could possibly imagine. We'll put this in what the notes it is. as well. Yeah, yep. yeah, what it is. Well, I mean, you just have to buy the book if there's any still out there. Right. That is. Um, what it is is that she has done all four walls mm. of this beautiful interior with that highly detailed wallpaper. Right. So that you can fold them round. You can put them on the table upright and fold them round and make a room and then look into the room from above. Sorry, that's a painting that she's done that invites... She's painted all four walls, yes, in sequence, and and it's all folded out. You line them up together. It's all folded out into one long rectangle, Hmm. but it's got, at the corners of the room, Hmm. it's got a fold, so you Hmm. can fold it into the actual room. Yeah, I see. Just like in a doll's house. I like it. Yeah? Yeah? And she's done three of them. Right, how lovely. Yeah, all with um, extraordinary elaborate wallpaper and beautiful details, furniture and windows and curtains and furnishings, you know, and the rest of it. Um, And they all fit together so that you can go out of one of them through the door, as it were, into the next room. Right. This has taken an enormous amount of detail. It's taken a huge amount of focus. So she's she's well-known... Uh, I mean, she's not. You you wouldn't say that she's she's not on the tip of everyone's tongue, is she? This no, Mary she's Ellen almost Best. entirely unknown. Right, exactly. So she, she was only discovered in 1983. Okay, wow. So a hundred years after her death, or approximately, she'd been right? forgotten. Yeah, the the family um, or members of the family, right. because they'd always commissioned pictures from her. They all had. Their, <laughs> like, they've all got their. They've yeah. all got their pictures, and she did pictures and gave them away for Christmas. Yeah. So she did want to be a professional artist she did take commissions she did lots of people but of course they've all got them in their own families and are passing them down they're not on the market she did portraits of people dressed in wallpaper didn't she 
Well, of course. I mean, this is she. She she did portraits of people who were wearing the sort of fabrics wearing that people wore at the time. Yeah, exactly. You know, all the chenille and the chintz and everything. That, yes. I mean, you, some of the dresses. But we're talking. We're talking Georgian here. Eighteen oh nine. Uh, 1830, like active 1830s, right? 18, mid 1830s, 1840s. Yeah, in your... yeah, that's when, she, and she stopped painting round about 1840. Okay, do we know why? Yeah, she got married. Okay, what's the connection between getting married and stopping painting? Would you say? Um, well, she had some children. Okay, she had a couple of children. So it wouldn't have been. It was impossible for her, basically, is what you're and, saying. And. Um, Yes, I think uh, her. I mean, what? Because if it was Davidson a if it was a male saying, artist getting married and having children, the male artist would still be creating art. Yes, I mean, I mean, what Caroline Davidson says is that um, somehow the excitement she felt about interiors and furnishings, the excitement she felt about painting the nieces and nephews yes. of her um, of her sister who yeah. had. Um, the, of the children of her sister and so on, all that began to um, to die down as she was uh, more and more involved in housework yes. and looking after her children. She'd yes. done an awful lot of uh, um, babysitting too all through her time, looking after her sister's 13 children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they all survived. They all thrived and everything. Um, but uh, And she, also she was content, much more content. I mean, she did love her husband. He was a penniless musician. Right. Okay, of which there are many. And so he didn't have to work. He didn't he didn't have to work because he was penniless or he didn't have to work and he was penniless. Uh well, I mean no, because he didn't have to work because uh, they were actually sort of living off her money. I see. Um her inheritance was this yeah, all inheritance. money yeah. and money that she had made as well through selling her paintings. Not much though so because she as you say she didn't really become known until after her death. Yes, I don't know how much she was getting for the paintings or how significant that was. Um, and there's other questions that obviously, you know, I mean, one book uh, on her, which is all that, that uh, at the moment her reputation seems to be able to inspire, right. although one hopes people will be asking these questions. Yeah. Um, and uh, having having inherited that money, then he was able to carry on with his uh, musical interests. And there's paintings of him playing with uh, different combinations of right. people, you know, um, quartets and mm. so on. Um, and so he was very busy. Mm -hmm. He wasn't idle, um, but he didn't have to earn his money through what he was doing. So a life of some leisure then in Nice, is that what we're saying? Um, We'd all like one of those. You could say it was, but I mean, the reason you could say the reason why she actually took to painting at six years old and right. busied herself with extraordinarily detailed work mm -hmm. is that she needed to lose herself mm -hmm. in her work mm -hmm. because of the extraordinary. You remember me mentioning that this first chapter of her life is called A Scandalous Childhood. Right. Yes, you did. You did say that. Her father was a doctor. He was um, he was in charge of the York Lunatic Asylum. Okay, how interesting. Which was, I know, I know, which was founded. There's so much to learn about looking into Mary Ellen Best's life. Right. So much social history and to understand. It was founded in about 1777 by a Dr. Hunter and Dr. Best became his assistant. Do you know whereabouts in the city the, the asylum was? Yeah, it's still there. It's a beautiful building. It's still there. By John Carr. 
who's right. one of the most famous architects of the age. Right. And all all of whose buildings, all of whose architecture is listed at the top level. Excellent. Right? So there's this beautiful looking building. In fact, there was so much criticism about it when it was first built. They called it, you know, it's not a lunatic asylum. Critics would say it's a lunatic hotel. Okay. Yeah, I know, and it's in lovely grounds I've too. Stayed in a few of those. So yeah, if you walk from if you walk from the railway station across the river up towards the hospital, going the cycle route, you will actually walk up the grounds of um, the uh, old Bootham Lunatic. It's, Bo- it's Bootham. It's, it's Bootham. in Bootham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, which is which is uh, uh, north northwest in the city. If the city's a clock face, it's about. What, 10 I o'clock? would say, yeah, I'm not going to argue. Is it about 10 o'clock, 11 yeah. o'clock? Yeah, I've only been here for uh, 50 years, yeah, Daniel. I Give us a chance. All right. And I don't go out much. Sorry, yeah, I'm, try- <laughs> I'm trying not to watch you. I know you don't. I'm try- you went out, you <laughs> yeah, went out in 1992 run. for a packet of tissues. Yeah, it's, over, it's definitely over the river. It's over the river. the South Bank here. Okay. It's where the artists are. Fair enough. All right, so so there she is. Um, she She's creating she's arts pouring out of her it seems and she's got a very and her father was the chief medical officer of the lunatic asylum yes indeed and the you just got to imagine um that the city is actually in the grip of a very very powerful group of quakers right interesting now quakers are um very forward-looking uh they're very humanitarian right they are acu- they are accused of atheism as a matter right. of fact because they are actually putting, they're putting um, the health and welfare of people and the re- and the way we behave to one another. They called themselves the Society of Friends. Yes, they did. And they gave an enormous amount of support to one another. Yes. They didn't build churches with um, images and uh, and prayer books and um, so on and liturgies. Um, they looked for a path of spirituality that was cleansed of all these things and they used to sit then they still do in their worship they sit in silence right, we, together I, i'm i'm aware of that for the yeah, yeah. quakers it's, so, um, I, and it's in york it's a very strong quite movement i like the sound of that lifestyle actually a bit of silence well yes you can always go along on a sunday and um and sit with them hmm. and every now and again maybe once or twice and hmm. for a couple of minutes somebody will actually say something that they have been thinking about right and people will listen to it yeah. never reply yeah. and sit there and think about what has been said wonder what they're thinking about what they think about oh i can't wait to get onto the allotment later well i think if you're a quaker these days you are pretty focused on um on your practice you know i think maybe in the past, you'd just be recruited in your family along with a whole lot of uh, non-conformist religions that right. were developing, which have got meeting houses all over York still, you know. Um, but these days, I think they are extremely focused people at the Quakers. So, They're very okay. dedicated. They are, they are pacifists So this well. is the context then in which Mary Ellen Best is growing up, right, in York. Yeah, with a very powerful, very powerful group of... Um, Quakers who are looking to improve the life of the suffering poor. Right. And they are proposing a much better, um, what they would call a place to look after those who were troubled. Right. You know, perhaps not use the word lunatic asylum at all. Okay. And this place is called the Retreat. Very famous. Sorry, the asylum that's set up by Mary Ellen Best's father. 
It's no, the... no, that's the um, that is the York Lunatic Asylum. Right. Okay. The Quakers have got a place called the Retreat. I see. I see. And is... it's humanitarian. Right. It's more respectful. Um, the uh, the in inmates are much much better looked after. Guests, maybe by people. Yes, by people who are going to always go the extra mile for them. It's part of their spiritual discipline. Okay. As it were. So the York Lunatic Asylum comes under very, very heavy criticism and scrutiny. Right. Okay. From the Quakers. How, how, okay. Let's just think about Mary Ellen Best. All right. And she, this, is, this is the city in which she's grown up. She's moved to Nice. She's becoming not particularly well known only after her death, you say, did she? Not become? after. Well, not until 80, 1980. Um, a hundred years after her, a century yeah, after, yeah, her, yeah, after, yeah, yeah, after yeah. her death. No, the point is why she's in Nice. Okay. She's in Nice because of the Quakers. Right, okay, okay. Because her father has been disgraced. He has been accused of running an extremely shabby and cruel institution uh, in the building that we were talking about, designed by John Carr and so on. Right. Um, that they have criticised... Um, the uh, the methods they've uh, criticised the place because it's not properly funded. They criticised the place because when Doctor Hunter died, that Best was the assistant to. They they made Best the uh, the chief physician, and they didn't give him an assistant. So also he had his hands full, and also he had contracted TB. Okay. Uh, and had had to take time off when Dr. Hunter was uh, was still alive and so on. And he'd been off to um, to the Mediterranean, hence Nice, the Mediterranean, in search of a Mediterranean climate and sea air. So he went to Portugal. Okay, okay. I'm just still trying to think about Mary Ellen Best here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, all this is, all this is very germane. Okay, Okay, I'm just what what is she? There's an art gallery in York. Do they have Mary Ellen Best on the walls? No, they do have a couple in uh, in store. They have a couple in store. I believe they've got three actually. Yes, they've got two interiors and a still life with and oranges. They're not displayed. No, I see. Okay, um, are they? Are they? Is there a reason for that, do you think? Or is that just a commercial reason? Or is she just not fashionable? Yes, or? there's no interest in her. Hmm. Um, her work is, uh, because it's been done by a, um, a middle-class lady who has been taught how to paint by painting masters and so on in watercolours, and she has never been able to um, go to uh, an institution to, for the education of artists. Right. Where she would have done figure drawing for right. us. Heaven help us. Yes, know, yes. Seeing naked figures, all that is denied. So her figures are stiff. Um, and all her energy is poured into what she does best, which is recording the beautiful interiors. Mm. And the figures, when you see them, they let you know that you're in the in the presence of what would be called these days, I'm quite sure, mm. an outsider artist. Mm. So she's not judged harshly or any way disparaged for producing figures of these things. She's more or less yes. self-guided and self-taught after yes. being given a good start by... Right. Um, by artists who came, who used to come to the schools that she was sent to Excellent. and so on to teach young ladies the arts and crafts mm -hmm. that they need to know in order to be suitable uh, suitable uh, candidates for marriage to uh, young gentlemen. Now, one of her paintings is called the Sideboard, uh, mm. I understand, which is which is a, a really 
busy sideboard. It's a table, more like a, a thick wooden table. It's got so much stuff on it. Um, beautifully rendered, I have to say. There are there are loads of jugs. There are eggs. There's a half a loaf of bread. There's oh, it sounds like my bedroom. There's uh, there are wicker baskets and table lamps and apples. What about the colour? Apples of lots of lots of different coloured apples. And the colour is sort of russety, isn't it? It's a, the, the overall sort of light and the, the, the wallpaper is sort of a russety brown. Has she chosen the same tones for all the, all the objects in the still life or are they all sort of contrasting colours? No, no, there are many of them are contrasting colours. There's a mm-hmm. fantastic uh, blue jug right next to a lemon. Um, that's a nice contrast right there. Yes, there are... yes, she's right into contrast. She right, isn't it. she just... This is fantastic. I love this painting. I really do. Yeah, it's, she's it's very so good at busy. mixing paints. I mean, if you talk to somebody who does watercolours, mm. they will be amazed mm. at the ink, the beautiful ink effects she yes. gets with the watercolours that she's using. Yes. And the control, too, to stop those colours bleeding into one another. No, very good. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Really so excellent. let's go all the way back to her six-year-old self in Nice. Her father is in hiding really, Mm. from the accusations that have been thrown at him Mm. for the conditions that have been not only found but also trumpeted and some some cases probably exaggerated for purposes um, of the institution that he was responsible for. Okay. So as a six-year-old with a disgraced father hiding in Nice, and Mm. maybe the reason why they're in Nice Mm. is because... France is at war with Britain. It is. What are they doing going there? So that there's no extradition. Should there be any follow-up on some of the accusations, some of which have been uh, misappropriation of funds. Right. Um, they just threw the book at Was him. there such a thing as extradition treaties in the, in the, no. during the Napoleon No, 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 no. But obviously Nowhere. they felt much safer going to France. It was a war with right. Britain right. than going to Portugal, which yeah. is where he had been before yeah. when he discovered that he had TB. Right. When he went to Portugal, he was still within the uh, the amongst the allies of the British, I fighting see. the Napole- N- Napoleon and so on, and the Spanish too. Um, and uh, he became when he was even though he was there for convalescence, he became a special military uh, officer to uh, to to the army there. I see. Giving giving extra help and so on. So when he when he found himself. Uh, needing to leave Britain, he could easily have gone to the um, Mediterranean and seaboard climate of Portugal. I see. But he chooses France because France is at war with Britain. Right. And that's my theory. Okay. Now, I say that at that time, she's not perhaps aware of the dreadful things that the people have been saying about her father, but she knows something, she's old enough to know something dreadful has happened. It must have been extremely difficult for him, her father and her mother, right. to bear. And it's wonderful that they have their faithful servant, Elizabeth, who was the, um, the daughter of a local farmer I in see. York who had come with... And she's with them all the way through the story. She's still with um, Mary Ellen Best in her old age. And what happens is that Mary Ellen Best needs to hide from the terrible pressures around her and she finds escape in these extraordinarily detailed little paintings that she's doing that completely absorb her energies and a really good symptom of this too is 
the little present that she made for her adored elder sister, who was being looked after by relatives still in York, uh, she she does a little cutout. You won't find a picture of it probably in any of the um, right uh, on any of the websites and everything. But with her scissors, she makes a cutout of tiny little birds in a nest being fed by a mother bird who has come to the branch and is holding a tiny little worm in its mouth. And this this must have taken this is must have taken her all day to do. And yes. many tries, but it shows the concentration that she can marshal that was probably saving her from being caught up with in the in the dreadful emotional depressive um, atmosphere that she was plunged into by being born at that time. Mary Ellen Best. I'm sure there's lots more we could say about her. Um. But that's been a really interesting yes, little I'm happy we've said enough. journey. We've, we've into let people know they'll be going to look at her pictures and they will agree with us. A great unknown, relatively unknown York mm-hmm. artist, Mary Ellen Best. And you say there are three paintings of hers held in storage at the, uh, at the York Art Gallery. Which they might get every now and again. There's mm. a reason why they might get them out and mm. put them on the walls. And they did for, a sh- for about three months. They were displayed a couple of years ago. Right. And I went and took photographs of them at the time. Okay. Um, well, maybe it's a bit of an injustice that, that, that her work isn't seen, but we have linked you into the pictures we've been talking about in the notes um, that's under, right. the, uh, under the podcast. And we've talked about um, Caroline Davidson's The World of Mary Ellen Best, that's the which book. will people who are curious about her will find an enormous wealth of scholarly analysis. Yes. It's extremely painstaking, just like Mary Ellen Best, in fact. Excellent. Yeah, she's well served. Welcome back to the Anarchist Monastery. And now, as promised, I hand you over to uh, further adventures at the Foreign Office of Daniel Roy Connolly. You remember we left him in Italy last, probably playing cricket. Daniel. Playing cricket and uh, writing terrible poetry about three o'clock in the morning after drinking wine, I remember. Yeah, so I'm I'm, uh, 23 and my time in Rome is coming to an end, and I'm very sad about that. I really don't want to leave. I I feel quite Italian at this point. No idea where I'm off to next. We get a telegram at the embassy telling me, it wasn't asking me, it was telling me, um, that I was going to go and live in Bombay for three years in India. Now, now I, I as you may recall, I, I left the UK for the first time when I when I went to Italy, when I went to Rome. So the idea of leaving Europe um, was uh, was was just mm. un- incomprehensible to me, and mm. that there is such a thing as uh, different cultures beyond Europe. Like for me, that was just brand new territory. So I was very excited. I was quite overwhelmed by the prospect because India is an enormous country, and um, I arrive, I fly, and I arrive in 1989. And the plane door opens on the tarmac and I know I'm in a completely alien part of the world to me. And walking down the stairs of the um of the plane. By the way, on the on the journey on the way out, I sat yeah. I sat next to the pearly king of Croydon, who was in full regalia 
uh, he was on a he was on a, a visit to the the pearly king of of uh, of, of Bombay, I suppose. I'm I'm using Bombay because it, obviously now it's Mumbai, but um, I suppose it was it was just Bombay then and Bombay to me. So I was on the I sat next to the pearly king of Croydon, uh, in full regalia, all his gear on, uh, like a nine hour flight. And when we arrived, I, I remember going down the plane set and I'm just overwhelmed by the the, the smells and the, just the, 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 different, the different air, the different cut of the air and, uh, and the lights. And it was, it was overwhelming. We both, anyway, I end up in the customs hall and uh, he's got, I, I, there's a person who comes to meet me from the high commission. And so I'm, I'm whisked through diplomatic channel and I, I look back at me as I go through and I, I see the pearly king of Croydon being, being felt up all over the place by customs officers because um, he had a he had few few grand's worth of pearls hanging off his coat, didn't he? <laughs> so India, um, I I remember not fitting in again with my colleagues. I remember hanging out more expatty this time, though. I think more hanging out with more expats. I've got a beautiful apartment overlooking the Indian Ocean. Um, my, I'm on a decent salary again. Everything's very cheap in, in India. Um, I take a I have to take a driving test to get a license cause I can't drive. I've never had a UK license. So I took a, took an Indian driving test to get a license and it cost me a bottle of brandy that I left on the back seat cause I was a terrible driver. Did you pass first time? I failed. All right. How I many failed. times? Well, I failed, <laughs> but I didn't fail. I, I mean, the guy turned to me and said, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't give you a license. And then I sort of nodded to the back seat and said, look, is there anything I can do to change your mind? And he, he looked at the bottle of brandy and said, oh, okay, thanks very much. He signed nine different different chitties that he had in his hand, handed me one and said, you're, you're, you're free to drive on the roads of India. Scandalous. Ah, I know. Am I right? <laughs> I bet he lost his job later on. Mm. So Could be normal. So I... Uh, it could be regular to fail everybody. I have a new... That's, that's a possibility. Mm. So I'm in, I'm, in a new, job. I'm in a new part of the world and teaming with people and, and uh, going to hotels and things for dinners and all sorts of, uh, all sorts of you know, newish things to me, I suppose, and, and hanging out with airline staff and going to swimming pools at the weekend. Um... The smells and the music? Oh, a different world. A different world. Everything that we understand taking place on the street, but taking place to a different tempo or taking place on a, on a, on a, on a different canvas, definitely, but just with a different, like, just things not quite in sync with how we are. In the UK, in Italy, I suppose. So, an um, amazing people, you know, just road sellers selling potatoes and 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 cabbages and and just set up all down the road and and, and all the that street artists, color the, the street, the street art. Well, there were men who would 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 um would lance your ears. Mm, that was one you could get a. Hot... I mean, jugglers and people who are charming snakes. Well, that I mean, no, I don't. That was that's more. A, I suppose that's more a sort of romanticized. Fakers mm, um, lying um, on nails. Yeah, that that's it wasn't. Oh. Exactly. No, there, well, there, it might be no. They were always right. Uh, <laughs> right. A great authority in my life. No people. Pe I mean, people who shave you with a cutthroat mm -hmm. on the roadside. People who lance your ears. 
um, awkward, useful stuff like that. Tailors? Could they make you a suit? There were, tail- there were, there were tailors' tents. You could get a suit run up. I'm going to return to that, actually, uh, that, that, very, that very thing. Um, and I'm working as an accountant. I'm, I'm the accountant at the, the Deputy High Commission, which is overlooking – it's in Fort, the Fort area. or was. It's moved now, but it was in the Fort area of, uh, of Bombay. Overlooking, my office overlooked Mahatma Gandhi Fountain. Which was a which is a, a busy fountain, yeah, uh, a sort of smaller Piccadilly Circus, really. It uh, sounds posh, right? It was a nice part of town, lots mm. of good restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm the accountant. I'm taking an enormous amount of money each day from visa fees um, because we had a visa set up uh, in uh, in Bombay, so that people could come, Indians could come and, and apply for visas to go to the UK. Um, and I, all the income from that I took, and it was a huge amount. I was taking about twenty thousand pounds a day. Mm-hmm. In this is like nineteen eighty nine. In rupees. In in uh, in the equivalent in rupees, yeah. And I've got a counting machine, and I have to put all the notes through a counting machine, and all the dust flies up from the notes when you put notes through a counting. Mm-hmm. I was always getting sick. I was always unwell. What sort of unwellness? At stomach. Right. Right. Normally. Both ends. But yeah, occasionally, not All pleasant. Right. Okay, but you know stuff that you know you you kind of you, you kind of get used to. Enough detail. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Okay, fair dues. Fair dues. Shouldn't so have I, asked. I've got I've got I've got a very fortunate lifestyle again, and and th- I I had a girlfriend. I met an American mm-hmm. girl um, from Alabama, and uh, we we she her she was the, her father ran the um, uh, American school, I think. Uh, and we got together, and we were going out very happily for uh, six months. Six months seems to be my 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 time. Doesn't my prime time? I I got I got dumped. I and I and I sort of I sort of loved her, and I got dumped. Did it hurt? Well, you know what? It it, it did to the point that I got really really depressed. Mm. And I I remember this as my uh, you know I remember this sort of clearly, and I think perhaps. The first extensive episode of depression I've I've I I can remember it was there and I was sounds in, fully justified in a depression. terrible way I was in a terrible way I, I I wasn't eating I wasn't sleeping um I was at work but not looking well I was only twenty three but triggered by external circumstances yeah exactly exactly met but, with uh, something inside at the same time yeah triggered by mm. external circum I mean that's depression tends mm. to be. Mm-hmm triggered by ex- external circumstances and then which are then interiorized um and did you see her about with other people i did i saw her oh dear i, I did and oh that that was dear. hard that was yes that yes. was tough as we well. feel for you daniel right and i i went to well, i went to a doctor and mm-hmm. um because I, I didn't know what to, i was really unwell i just wasn't feeling human i went to a doctor and i and i got i was given sedatives and i was given lithium which I then took for about two months, I would think. And whether it was the case that I was feeling better at any way because a certain amount of time had passed or whether the lithium had kind of done its work, I, I stopped taking it. Great. Yeah, yeah and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think to, to any detriment. Um, but I remember, I remember it being a really horrible difficult i wasn't me and uh, no no i no, was no. sluggish and a horrible dark period that we're crossing now 
Yeah, right. And I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah. I've, I've had a lot of depression in my life and I, that was a particularly mm-hmm. severe... And I didn't know what I was doing because I was 23. So I, 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 I don't really... I think I got, did get depressed as a kid, but I couldn't rationalise it when I was 23. Were you told that you were depressed? Well, the, 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 the psychiatrist who I went to see, yes, he said... He saw it as depression. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, this yeah. is like... Well, it's uh, helpful to have a diagnosis, it, isn't but it? But this is late 80s, I mean, in India. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not... You know, we're not talking about depression the way we are today. So it was all very ancient in there's its There's probably another word for it these days. Mm. Personal crisis. It was awful. That's nervous breakdown, isn't it? Personal crisis. Kind of, I kind of had that. I, well, I don't know if it was that. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I was completely. So, were you very different coming out of this? I was decommissioned. For I decommissioned myself for for two months, basically, and mm, I don't think I was very different coming out of it. No, I was still Daniel, um, and I I was Daniel then, who recognised that something pretty severe had happened to me. Um, were you Were you more cautious? Were you uh, well with with timid? No, I don't. I don't think so. Suspicious. I don't, no, I don't. I don't think at that point you got over it. It then. stopped me being, you know, my my sort of, I suppose, proactive self or untimid self or whatever it is. I don't think it was that. I don't think. Well, it, well done. Well done. Yeah. No, that's that shows robustness. Well, thank you, Hugh. Yes. So um, there I was coming out of a depression uh, in India still, then slowly getting back into society. And my the commercial officer comes to see me one day and he says, um, now he was an older guy, David, someone in mid-40s. He said, listen, chap, I, I've, I've got a, supposed to be going on the commercial visit to uh, such and such a town. Uh, it's about four hours on the train outside of the city. I... I can't actually make it. I someone's come into town, and uh, I need to be here for them. Would you like a trip up country? Uh, we just go and pump a little English flesh. That's all. Say hello. Uh, tell them we're here. Right, British Deputy High Commission. Do a bit of representation. Have a canapé. So I said, all right. I, I, I'm like, I'd love it. <laughs> Do you want to go to a party? I'd love it. It was a party invitation. It was a party for me. Yeah, on the state. But it wasn't great. So I got, I, I got the. Oh no! I'm only that. I'm going overnight. That's it. Mm. It was a four-hour train journey up. Quick overnight, four-hour train journey back. I just stick a toothbrush in my, in my yeah, breast pocket. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Right. Off I go. Get up there. Bunch of old English people. Old pale. Um, uh, un- unhappy in their way, a couple of businessmen, like 50s and 60s in this town. There's a community of about 15 English people and everyone came over to meet me. I, I, you've done this to me, I'm going to do it to you. What were you wearing? Okay, so I, I had a, I, all I had on was just uh, a pair of slacks, uh, shoes, white, Colour? white Colour? S- brown slacks, mm-hmm. white sleeveless shirt. Yeah, um, jacket. Uh, a, a, a yeah, exactly. A canvas jacket. What color? As well, uh, cream. Yeah, hat. Uh, no, no hat. I wasn't a hat wearer. Um, so it's a cream jacket, a buff trousers. Yeah, sort of. exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very uh, smart of, shoes. Yeah, nice, nice, comfy office shoes. White, black, black, black. Well, I wasn't going. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't going for a disco. I, was, I wonder I was if going. that's a sign. You know, if you wear all that light gear, you know, yeah. you should have white brogues. Yeah. With maybe white brogues with brown leather. There's something you don't see very much. Is white brogues? Mm, no, on the golf course probably. On the oh, good point. Mm. 
<laughs> so up I go. I, the clothes, I'm, the clothes I, I stand Yeah, I can in. see you now without a hat too. Go I'm, to the. I'm terribly disappointed you haven't got a hat. But, yeah. Check into a check into a, a bed and breakfast. It's about I get off the train station mm. about a, about half a mile from the train station. There's my room. Go and check in. Uh, brush my teeth. Go to the party. It starts at eight. Everyone's drinking gin. There are canapes going round. It's terribly false in its way. Just difficult. Everyone knows each other, but the conversation isn't isn't massively memorable or edifying, you know. And I'm there. Hello, I'm Daniel. I'm the accountant at the office in Bombay. I'm very pleased to meet you. Any any? Do you have any concerns? I can I can feed back. La la la. God bless the Queen. Go back to my room. Ends. I say goodbye to everyone. Go back. Sleep the night. Wake up the next morning. I feel dreadful. I've had a dodgy canapé. Oh, dear. Right? And you don't want too many of those. And you, Has I it affected your eyesight? I don't feel good. Not at this juncture. Mm-hmm. I don't feel good. I'm really dehydrated. I've got a train to catch in 15 minutes. Right? I square up at the, the, the B&B. I'm walking along the road to the station. There's an open sewer uh, <laughs> to the yes. left of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not feeling great. The smell of that. I get to about 200 yards from the station and my stomach collapses. Yeah. And I collapse alongside it. I'm basically on all fours. And everything is... my my. I've only got the suit I'm wearing, remember? So, and everything is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...destroyed at that point. So I, I have to take my trousers off uh, I've got my trains there in like five minutes. Oh I, I, I drag myself towards the station. I've got no trousers on. I've got a shirt. And boxer shorts? Or uh, 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 yeah, exactly. Y-fronts? Uh, Y-fronts. Y-fronts, okay. As luck would have it, there is a tailor's tent on the station forecourt. Uh-huh. Right? I cannot believe my luck. Now, the return of the tailor. I go... I. I'm into the, the train's coming. I'm into the tent. I look up. I point to a pair of trousers and I said, Those, please, egg dum jaldi, now quickly, please. And the tailor says, Okay. And he goes out the back and I'm standing there and I can hear the track. I can hear the, I can hear the whistle of the train now in the distance coming around the corner. The, he, he goes out the back. He comes back about a minute later with a beautiful parcel. Or with a gorgeous bow on top and hands it to me. And I throw him like 200 rupees, which is a, a week's worth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. For him, I get onto the platform, the train's coming in. And I, uh, you know, got my, I, um, it's coming around the bend. It stops. I'm feeling worse and worse again. I oh, open no. the door. I get on the train. I oh. walk, go left because I'm in like, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a first class carriage. Get into the carriage, lock the door, the train pulls away from the station. I take my underwear off and I throw it out the window and I yeah. watch it dancing across the fields. Yeah. And I go and clean up and I come back and I open this parcel and there are two shirts inside. Yes. <laughs> and no trousers. And no trousers. 
and I get so what had he understood by what you'd asked him? I don't know what had happened mm. yeah, maybe maybe right. maybe I pointed through the trousers and there were shirts didn't he it. see that you were standing in your wife run I get to Bombay station and I fashion out of two shirts I fashion a dhoti which I tie oh, I tie right, the arms around right. my waist traditional garb I've got my socks yeah, on and my yeah. shirt on and I'm walking through the uh, Victoria station in Bombay like four in the afternoon with a pair of shirts tied around my like waist. Like a mendicant holy man. And the 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 driver, the embassy driver, the high commission driver was there to pick me up. And he didn't he, he didn't even miss a step. He didn't even blink. <laughs> he just took my case from he took, you know, he took they put it in the back. He said, Welcome back, sir. And seen it all before. Seen it all before, mate. <laughs> Such an adventure. So that was that Unbelievable. was Unbelievable. Yeah, that was the kind of thing I was uh well, that was a bit of a one-off. No, I have to say that was... I've got to ask you, though, why did the tailor not notice you were standing in your wife runs? Was it the counter and he couldn't see? I think it was the fact that I was really rushed. And I think he picked up on how rushed I was and how, how I needed this thing as soon as possible because the train was coming in. Right? And, uh, and I think he was just extremely efficient and also inefficient at the same time. So you've forgiven him? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think... No, I, yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely see the humour no, in it these that. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just well, wasn't yes. fun at the time. Yes, there wouldn't be so much to tell if it wasn't uh, for the, um, yeah, but the just misunderstanding. A... So, yes, our histories are made of our misunderstandings, maybe. Indeed. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. Hmm. So, that's... so is that the end of uh, um, the Indian venture for today? Well, I th we can. Uh, yes, I'd love to. I'd love to come back. Maybe, maybe I'll have some time in future to drop a few stories in from Rome as well, because uh, we'd like to hear more from Rome. Yeah, and lots yep. from. There's t so much in India: the, the light, the smells, the tastes, the sounds. It's an extraordinary place. I'd love to return to it at some point. Okay. Well, I think at that point we'll say from the Anarchist Monastery, um, goodbye to everybody. That's goodbye from me, Hugh Bernays. And until next time, it's goodbye from me.